Okay, hello and welcome back, everyone. This is Ben Chiriboga, the Chief Growth Officer here at Nextville, coming to you with another This Legal Life podcast. Today, I'm very, very excited to be sitting down with a good, good friend of mine, Jacob Eidinger. Jacob, how are you? Welcome to the This Legal Life podcast. Hey, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, so... um we are going to get into a really cool topic that honestly, I think that you, um, that you exemplify in a lot of ways. You know, I've gotten to know you over the course of the last year through LMA. And, um, whenever I think about you and, and now that I've gotten to know you a little bit, the topic is really, really on point, which is the emotional investment, uh, that you can sort of make into your career and how that uh, pushes career growth. Um, it's an interesting topic because on the one hand, um, of course, everybody should be emotionally invested in their job, but there's always two sides to the, to the coin, which is how much investment do you put into your job? How much do you put into work? And of course, there's a whole other topic that's happening right now around burnout, especially within the legal industry, where sometimes people are like, maybe I'm too invested. So I'm really excited to be sitting down with you, get your perspective. But, um, uh, but before that, tell us a little bit about who is Jacob, for those of you who don't know you. Um, yeah, what's, uh, what's the role? What's the firm? Um, tell us how a little bit, maybe how you got into legal marketing, the legal world, et cetera. Yeah, bring us, bring us up to date on what's happening in your life. Sure thing. So as you said, I'm Jacob Eidinger. I am the Director of Marketing and Communications at Crummeller. We are a feminist litigation firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We primarily represent victims of workplace discrimination, sex abuse, and uh, medical malpractice. And I also happen to serve as the co-chair of LMA's social and digital media SIG. I've been in this role for two years now. I'll sadly be rolling off at the end of this year. But Erica Galarno, our current co-chair, is uh, she's going to take over the reins and we'll bring on some new folks. So um, I've actually been with my current firm for just a year and a half. Prior to that, I worked at another plaintiff side litigation firm called Wake Door. I was there for about five years and I joined that firm in J July of 2017. I had just graduated college. Before that, I had been a marketing manager at a chain of tattoo studios, actually. Yeah. And I was also a nightlife promoter. So it was quite a departure for me, um, career wise, but I, I, found a random job posting online for a marketing coordinator at a boutique plaintiff side litigation firm. I barely knew what those words meant at the time. And that was in, like I said, July of 2017. And so just a few months later, the Me Too movement happened. Mm -hmm. And the firm that I was working for was already doing really mission critical work at the forefront of fighting sexual harassment and abuse in the workplace. And so it was really this incredible opportunity for me to take the work that the firm was already doing and magnify it before a global audience. And so I got to do that for about five years running all of their marketing and PR. And I got to work on some really incredible high impact cases that many people have read about in the news. For example, I worked on a number of cases against Harvey Weinstein, some big litigation against Fox News for sexual harassment and workplace gender and race discrimination, cases against Goldman Sachs, 
uh, the Grammy Awards, you know, really high impact cases that have really shifted our culture in significant ways. And so it was this amazing opportunity for me to work really closely with attorneys and get sort of an inside look as to how litigation can actually advance social justice movements. And so, um, so that I did that for about five years. And then a year and a half ago, I switched over to my current firm, Crummiller. I was really attracted to the firm's branding as a feminist litigation firm. Um, and I've been here ever since. And we're continuing to move the needle on high impact sex abuse cases and trying to advocate for legislation that makes workplaces around America safer. Um, it's just, it's been a really rewarding career path. And I'm just at the beginning of my career. You know, I've only been doing this work in the legal space for six years, but I feel like I've been here for a lifetime and I'm just so excited for what's to come. Yeah. So, um, there's one, I think, uh, important, uh, point here. First of all, uh, you know, I really love hearing your story and, Damn, we have to go into the whole jump into legal marketing and sort of diving into the to the defense. Um, you know, I, 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 I've only ever done this my entire life. And I really sometimes feel like the curve can be so difficult in terms of the vocabulary, the understanding sort of the culture in general, understanding the problems with the culture, of course, um, some of the issues that are lingering around just, but nevertheless, you know, just, just a great interesting place to be it's sort of like a microcosm in the world and in, in, in a weird very strange way i'm sure yeah you're you, you guys can't see this because you're listening to us but you know jake jacob's uh nodding his head along but um but i wanted to ask you you left out one thing which is you know if you go onto your linkedin you say aspiring spanish translator right <laughs> that's sure. all there <laughs> tell us a little bit um I'm sure our audience is not here to listen to yes. me speak in, in Spanish. Sure, I'm happy to give you, give you some background. <laughs> so I, I studied Spanish all through elementary school, middle school, high school. I started when I was in second grade. It was something that I was really passionate about. Um, in high school, I actually ended up writing a... Um, like a thesis in mm -hmm. on um, comparing uh, two Spanish <laughs> authors and the thesis was written in Spanish. And wow. so it was something that I was really passionate about. And I've always wanted to use my Spanish language education in my career. I minored in Spanish in college. And then when I started working in the legal field, you know, occasionally we would have clients who would come to our firm uh, for representation and they only spoke Spanish. For example, you know, a group of servers working at a restaurant who were suing their employer for wage and hour okay. violations. Yeah. And our firm didn't have any Spanish speakers at the time. Okay. And so um, occasionally I would do some translation and interpretation on their behalf. Right. But it was something that I've always been interested in. And so when I was working at my previous firm, I went and got a certificate in Spanish and interpretation studies part-time at night um, while I was working full-time. And the program that I did was geared towards legal interpretation. And so I bounced around the idea of, you know, maybe taking the court interpreter exam and just, you know, furthering my education. But unfortunately, you know, after the pandemic, I, I really haven't had many opportunities to pursue 
um, you know, Spanish in, in my career. It's something that I hope to get back into. And I, you really have to practice every day in order yes. to be successful at it. And interpreting is really hard work. It's not just a matter mm. of being fluent in two languages, but also being able to take information and process it and synthesize it and spit it back out in another language using the proper inflections and tone. It's really not easy. So, so that's a little bit about my background. Unfortunately, I'm not doing too much with it these days. Well, very, very interesting. Buena suerte as you, uh, as gracias. you go forward. Gracias, gracias. Uh, okay. So why don't we get a little bit into the topic? That's great. There's so much more, I'm sure, to you. Of, and, uh, you know, if you ever see Jacob out and around, make sure that you, uh, uh, give him a, a high five, say hi, you know, really great guy to hang around uh, in the streets in New York. So why don't we go, get a little bit into the, um, the concept of emotional investment? So why don't we like, why don't we define this a little bit? You know, it's interesting. We're giving a name to a topic that I, to an idea that I think has been floating around for a long time. Uh, but, you know, we're sort of naming it now. So how do you, how do you sort of conceptualize the idea of emotional investment? Sure. So, and first of all, I don't purport to be an expert on emotional intelligence or emotional investment. I can really only speak from my experience. But if we're thinking about what is emotional investment with respect to your career, it's being really deeply emotionally connected to the work that you do uh, such that, you know, you're not just showing up to work to receive a paycheck. You're not just there to build some skills that'll help you advance in your career and you get paid and then you go home at the end of the day and you stop thinking about it. It's really living and breathing the ideals of your workplace and just investing in your, in your development, both personally and professionally. And so, you know, for me, I work for a social justice oriented law firm. We are ultimately not only helping people who have been through some really traumatizing experiences, but we're also trying to create these, this larger scale social change. And in order to do that, it really requires a deep emotional investment. I'm deeply emotionally invested in the outcomes of our cases. I'm invested in our clients' well-being and I care about these issues. You know, I want workplaces in America to be free from discrimination and harassment. I would love if predatory men would just completely vanish from the face of the earth. Unfortunately, we're still a really far away, away from that ideal. So, you know, for me, I'm living and breathing the work that I do day in and day out. I'm constantly thinking about work. I'm constantly thinking about our clients. And, you know, I'm just, I'm, I hear, I'm here and I show up and I'm giving it a hundred percent because I, I care. I really care about the work that we're doing. Mm. So many ways to start to go into this, you know, maybe one of the ways is the idea of how, how do you feel like the idea of emotional intelligence is related to the idea of emotional investment? Because I think you brought that up and naturally, I think we've heard so much about emotional intelligence being kind of like not only required in the workplace now, because, you know, you really can't empathize and you really can't collaborate with people and everything's about basically working in teams these days, you know, so that's where emotional intelligence has come from, but you've sort of tied it to this idea of emotional investments. Can you sort of link that up a little bit? How do you think those? Yeah, two absolutely. Things, um, work so, together? Absolutely. So there's a growing body of research that shows that people with higher levels of emotional intel intelligence tend to be more successful in their careers. 
And in fact, emotional intelligence or EQ, as many people are calling it, may even be a bigger predictor of career success than IQ, which is what we traditionally think of in terms of just intelligence, your ability to succeed in your career. So when we're talking about emotional intelligence, it's generally defined as your ability to understand and manage your own emotions and also your ability to interpret other people's emotions and to respond in in ways that are effective. And so, you know, for me, emotional intelligence is is really important in, in the work that I do, because like I said, we are interacting with clients who have just gone through some of the most traumatizing experiences of their lives. They've been sexually abused. They've experienced horrific discrimination and harassment in the workplace. They have survived botched surgeries or have experienced racism in, um, in healthcare settings. And so they come to us deeply emotionally distraught, and we are here to help them navigate the legal system and to help them get some semblance of justice. But it's really, really emotionally taxing when a client comes to us and they have to tell their story over and over and over again to strangers. You know, they have to tell their story to us. They have to sit for depositions. At some point, they may even have to sit in front of a jury and tell them their experience. And and so emotional intelligence really comes into play here because we're asking to do clients really difficult things. And we all are on the same team. We all share the same goals. But if we push our clients too hard or not effectively responding to their emotions, then they may leave our, our representation feeling super jaded about the legal system and about the experience of having worked with us. And they may even become further traumatized in the process. So we take painstaking measures to make sure that we are understanding the emotions that our clients are experiencing, that we're responding carefully and making sure that we are, we're, we're doing our jobs in that we're not, you know, we're not leaving any stones unturned, but we're also not further harming our clients in the process. Now, when it comes to career growth, I think, you know, you're going to interact with all sorts of people in your career, whether it be attorneys or other legal marketers or other people in the legal profession. And your ability to understand and respond to other people's emotions is going to allow you to, to connect with them on a much deeper level. It'll get people to trust you. It'll, it'll make people want to work with you. And so that emotional investment in your career success, people, other people will be more emotionally invested in your career success if you show that level of emotional intelligence. I also think, and this is maybe the last point I'll say on this. Yeah. You know, part of emotional intelligence is being able to process and understand your own emotions. And so if, you know, we deal with really stressful environments working in the legal field. And so if you let your emotions overcome you and you get super stressed out and frustrated and you lash out at your colleagues or at your clients or at people in your orbit, that's going to make it really difficult for you to progress in your career. So emotional intelligence also requires you to remain calm under pressure, to understand when perhaps you are getting burnt out, to recognize those signs and symptoms, and to be able to meaningfully address them so that you're always on an upward trajectory and you're not letting your um, you know, emotional state drag you down. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, you know, so much in here to really unpack 
man, we could do an entire podcast just on cultivating emotional intelligence, right? Um, uh, as as a as a platform on which to on which to base um, a lot of your um, aspirations for career build, career building. You know, there is um, uh, to 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 just kind of piggyback off of your idea about the research around emotional intelligence, which started with that book in the eighties. You know, Dan Goldman or whatever. I, I think mm-hmm. Goldman Goldman. Um, look it up. You can get it on Amazon. You know, he sort of kickstarted this. But the the point of all of this is that you know IQ. Um, debate, you know, debatable, but lots of people say very fixed, you know, very genetically, genetically, um, intertwined emotional intelligence and even other, you know, the other kind of intelligences that we're finding are coming out, uh, collective, collective intelligence, very learned, very learnable, right? So you can really increase your EQ, um, just by, you know, kind of doing what everybody else does to increase it, practicing, understanding frameworks, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, but let's put that aside because the point I was going to get is so far in the conversation, what I'm getting is, you know, emotions, really, whether or not you're emotionally invested in your career or have a high degree of EQ as you show up, emotions are really driving a lot of the workplace and a lot of the workplace success today. Um, that's what I'm sort of taking taking away uh, from where we're at. And, you know, a lot of us are very invested in building skills, but are we really invested in building our emotional skills and our emotional toolbox in that way? So I learned something really great and I sort of pieced that together. I want to, I want to tie this, let's go into you a little bit and let's maybe double click a little bit in terms of how do you show up every single day um, in a way that you sort of, Talk to me a little bit more about emotional investment and what that sort of means for you. Can you walk us through maybe a day a day in your life or the way that you kind of, you know, you think that how you show up really is meaningful and then connect that maybe to the idea of career growth and how you believe that that's, that's kind of laid some tracks, let's say, for a better for lack of an analogy sure. that I can't come up with. Yeah, yeah. Lay, yeah. lay that out for us a little bit. So. I guess there's sort of two pieces to this question. One is my day-to-day job, you know, working as a marketing director at a feminist law firm. But then there's also a conversation about my involvement with LMA and, you know, my, um, my desire to advance legal marketing as, as a field as a whole. So let me start with the first one. Um, you know, I, I absolutely love what I do. Um, my day-to-day involves um, not only marketing our firm's successes, but also working really closely with our individual clients to help them tell their stories. There's a huge PR component to my job. I talk to journalists every single day from a variety of publications and a variety of beats and geographies about the issues that our clients are going through. And um, and so oftentimes I, I show up to work I, uh, I'm a news junkie, so I, I have a bunch of Google alerts set up around topics that are relevant to the work that we do, you know, discrimination, harassment, things like that. I'm frequently reading up on industry trends and on news and just really fully immersing myself in our practice areas and legislative updates and case law and the issues that are keeping our clients up at night. Um, and then, you know, as I'm get going through my day, I'm just, I'm trying to push forward our cases in a way that's really meaningful. And so a lot of it is 
talking to clients about their goals and why litigation is is right for them and what they hope to get out of this experience. And I will say that overwhelmingly, the majority of our clients who say they're suing an employer or they're suing somebody who harmed them, they're not solely motivated by financial gain. They're not just looking for a settlement or some easy payout, but they really want to hold the institution or the person that harms them accountable. And filing a lawsuit can be a great vehicle to do that. Um, going to the media can be a really great vehicle to do that. But it's also, it's, not every client that comes to our office wants to come forward in such a public way. Not every client is necessarily equipped to tell their story. They might still be really traumatized and, and trying to tell their story to reporters is not the right move for them. But I spend a lot of time talking to our clients about the problems that they faced in their lives, understanding their goals as far as litigation goes and coming up with a public relations strategy that's right for them. And then it's a matter of getting in touch with journalists and finding out how we can best amplify our clients' stories. So that's the bulk of, of, you know, what I do on a day to day basis. I, I mean, I also do, you know, pretty much everything marketing and business development related, you know, our website, our social media events, sponsorships, you know, the award submissions, the full gamut. But the thing that really gets me up in in the morning is the PR aspect of it. I love helping our clients tell their stories. I love connecting with journalists. Most of the journalists that I work with are really good people that at the, at the end of the day, they just want to tell stories. They want to report on what's happening in the world. So, um, and it's also, you know, it's, to me, it's, it's kind of fun. You know, it's, it's fun trying to put the puzzle pieces together and put together a strategy that's going to maximize the pressure and put and really create impact and put pressure on companies and institutions just to do better, you know, to do right by their employees, to do right by their consumers. So that's really, you know, my day to day. And that's how the emotional investment comes yep. into play yep. with my day yep. job. Now, there's a whole other piece to my story, which is my involvement with LMA and my foray in, into legal marketing. So as I mentioned, I, I started working at a law firm right out of college. I had never worked in a law firm before. And actually, the firm had never had a full-time marketer before. So they weren't exactly sure what they needed. I wasn't exactly sure what I was doing. And within about six months, I realized that I needed help and I needed help badly. And so I had heard about LMA, I think just through online research and I didn't know much about it. And, you know, one day I just decided I, I need resources. I'm just going to join LMA. I paid for a membership with my own money and I started to absorb all the resources. And soon after I went to an event in New York, I think it was a legal marketing boot camp. And I was so amazed to walk into this room and see a community of people that have been doing this work for decades, for their, some people for their entire careers, and to see this community that was really invested in each other's professional success. And I was just so astounded that A, this career even existed because I have a marketing degree in college. Yeah, and guess sure. what? Nobody ever told me I could go work for a law firm. It was yeah, never right. advertised to me as a career option for me. So I was just so stunned to find this community and I felt like I need to get involved in this. So I approached the membership committee chairs in New York at the time and I said, Hey, I love what you guys are doing. Can you please, you know, get me involved? Like I'll do whatever. I'll do anything. Yeah. 
And so they started staffing me at registration tables at events. And I started organizing some charity drives. And um, so early on, I started to meet a lot of people in the legal marketing community. And ever since then, I've been really fortunate to just have this really quick upward trajectory in terms of rising the ranks in LMA leadership. I've served on a number of committees and volunteer task forces at the local, regional, and international level. And now I sit as co-chair of an international shared interest group, the Social and Digital Media SIG. So, you know, like I said, I've only been doing this work for six years, but I've been really fortunate to... Uh, to meet so many kind, generous people who are really willing to go above and beyond to share their knowledge. And, um, and you know, I also feel like because for the majority of my career, I've been a solo marketer and I've really relied on LMA and the generosity of my industry colleagues to help me understand how to do my job and to serve as a sounding board and to, and to give advice when I need it, that I really feel beholden to give back to the community. So it's part of the reason why I've been so involved up until this point. And I expect that I'm going to continue to be involved at a high level for the foreseeable future. Yeah. So, you know, if we can combine those two parts, here's what I hear, you know, what I hear a lot of is there. A lot of, a lot of, like, let me, let me step back for a second. You know, a lot of language today is, is a lot of language that we use today is around showing up in an authentic manner and also mm-hmm. leaning into sort of the, the, the softer side of your, of, of business, so, uh, softer side of, or soft skills. We, we know what we're talking about, you know, coming, coming, coming to work in an authentic way. And I've done, done some great podcast episodes. Um, uh, about, about sharing your voice and showing up, uh, authentically to Hisha. Um, you know, we had a great, great, great podcast, uh, with Tahisha and, um, um, this is sort of the thread that I'm seeing in some sense, when you are emotionally invested, go with me here on this, just, you know, when you, when you're emotionally invested, you're sort of able to show up like in a, in a much more authentic way. You, you, you sort of see what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's like once you make the commitment to sort of be emotionally invested, you sort of drop some boundaries. And we're going to talk about boundaries just to sort of round this out. Because oh, yeah. Fair, but you drop boundaries a little bit. You lean in a little bit. I'm going real. I'm going. I'm going real. Uh, re- real uh, business leadership coaching. Buzzwordy. Uh, yeah, buzzwordy. <laughs> but you know, you're able to lean in, and you're really able to show up. And at the end of the day, if you're in the right place with the right group of people, you really can start to get this um, this resonance very quickly. And I just have to say, from an outsider's perspective, sort of looking on you, that's what I sort of feel you, you know, you are able to orchestrate. And then just more generally for LMA, that's what I feel like you have with LMA. You have a lot of people who are leaning in on each other, right? They're sort of, I'm doing this weird thing with my hands, but (laughs) you know, sort of leaning forward into each other and supporting each other and kind of creating a structure. So I just kind of like, that's the next insight that I'm kind of getting. It's this idea that whenever you are emotionally invested, you can drop boundaries, you can drop boundaries, you can sort of lean in. Once you lean in, you can sort of show up and you can meet people on a new plane. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. Everybody knows what it's like to meet somebody on a different plane than the average plane that you meet that day. Does any of that make sense? Do you, do you, do you, does that resonate with you? Like, do you, Yeah, you know, no, it, it absolutely does. In terms of what I'm, what I'm trying to get at. 
Yeah. yeah well, so I, I have two immediate thoughts in response to what you just said. The first okay. is that, you know, one of the things that I, I'm really enjoying about my current firm, Crumiller, is that we do have a remarkable team. Uh, everybody here at the firm is super committed and emotionally invested in the work that we do in the same way right. that I am. Right. Um, our attorneys are all really passionate about the work that we do. Our support staff, are, we all, we're all just plugged in. We're locked yeah. into this work that we're doing. And it creates a lot of synergies across the board. And we really enjoy being around each other, not just for work purposes, but getting to know each other on a personal level. And I really do have to credit my boss, Susan Crummeller, the founder of our firm, because she is really adamant about stripping back some of those boundaries between personal and professional that we've been accustomed to over years or decades and to really foster like a more personal connection with, with people. So we are, we do tend to get vulnerable with each other here. We open up about our personal lives. It's not a requirement, but it's, it's, Mm -hmm. An environment in which people are certainly welcome to, to share things that are going on in their personal lives and leaning on each other for support. My yes, second right. thought about this, um, you know, this lesson that I learned about emotional investment is, is really one that I learned before I got into legal. So mm. before I worked in law firms, before I was a marketing manager at a, at a chain right. of tattoo studios, I, right. uh, when I was in college, I worked a ton of service industry jobs. You know, mm-hmm. I worked in restaurants, I worked retail, I worked um, in, in nightlife, basically just anything to, to pay bills while I was in college. And I had this one job where I was, I was a server at a Mexican restaurant in New York City called Blockheads. I don't know if you're yes, familiar with it. I know it. exactly what it is. Hell yeah. Yes. So <laughs> Blockheads was really well known for their $5 frozen margaritas exactly. and their super casual exactly. laid back atmosphere. And yeah. I worked at Blockheads for, I don't know, a few months. Um, but the margaritas were their selling point, but the food was not good. It was, it was really subpar. And, um, so, and I found myself in this position where customers are asking me for recommendations about the food and I was having a really hard time lying to them about what food that I liked because I just, I didn't think it was good. And so Mm -hmm. it was the type of thing where I realized that I was not invested in, in the workplace um, I wasn't invested in making our making the business money uh, because I didn't believe in the products that we were selling. And so I ended up quitting after I want to say a few months because I just couldn't yeah. do it anymore. I couldn't lie to people like that. And so, you know, it's it's a similar story with my current job. I, I, I so strongly believe in the work that we're doing that it really allows me to show up every day and to be really authentic. You know, recruiters will often reach out to me with positions at large law firms, you know, largely doing defense side or or management side work. And, you know, maybe there's a space for me to be in, in that area one day. But when I really think about it, I love doing plaintiff side work. I love working in plaintiff side litigation. And I just don't know that I would be as emotionally invested working for a firm that represents organizations that have been accused of like really yucky things. So maybe, maybe there's a way to, to justify it, but you know, and I guess, so a third thought that's emerging from this conversation, you know, I have conversations with other people in legal marketing all the time about their jobs, about their careers, about their personal lives. And I, I rarely see other legal marketers who work in big law or who work for 
for management side firms really feeling fired up about the cases that their firms are handling. I think, you know, not to disparage my big law counterparts, I think that there's a lot of ways to find enjoyment in the work that you do, working with different attorneys, helping your firms make more revenue, pushing out content that's valuable to their clients. But I rarely hear them talking about the, the actual cases that their firms are taking on and the work that they're doing. And I think that that's because they're just not emotionally invested in the same way that I am. I think they're emotionally invested in other ways. But I, mm-hmm. you know, I think mm-hmm. that's kind right. of a shame because I, I just, I love the work that my firm does so much. I want everybody to know about it. I want more mm-hmm. people to get involved in plaintiff side litigation. There's really very few of us in, in the marketing side of things that are working at these plaintiff side firms. And I think it's unfortunate. Yeah. I have so much to say there, you know, and, and I appreciate the nuance that you said, which is, you know, at the end of the day, um, you, there, there, there is different, you know, what, one other thing here, here's what I want to say, you know, there is, there is ways what I'm also learning from this conversation is even if maybe you don't deeply believe in the product, let's say you, you still want to find some degree of emotional, something to throw yourself into because it kind of, it pays itself off. You know, that's why we use the word investment, not like mm-hmm. emotional cost, right? And investment, the idea is, is that you actually get something back, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of like investing in a stock, you're expected to get some sort of return. Let's not make it in such in such crude economic terms. But I think you understand what we're getting at. And you do get something back, right? Um, from the perspective of meaning, um, sort of sense of purpose, sense of identity, sense of holism, you know, you're not separating yourself a little from work. This is this is all the things that I'm sort of getting at. I want to go to the flip side of the coin, though, because there is always a there's always let's let's go into into psychology talk. You know, there's always a shadow to every to everything. A bright light always casts the longest and the biggest shadow. When you get very emotionally invested in something, you can you can be hurt. You uh, tend to uh, get drained. Do you want to talk a little bit about this? I mean, you know, I could ask the question in so many different ways, but you know, we you, you know kind of what I'm pointing at here. What? Yeah. What do you think of what comes up whenever you hear something like this? Sure. You know, before we get into the risks of emotional investment, I just want to add one caveat to what I just said before about, you know, working in in big law. You know, I think there's another piece of emotional investment that we haven't touched upon yet, which is being emotionally invested in doing what's best for your family and for and for yourself. And sometimes working in law can be a means to that end. And so Mm -hmm. and I, I don't mean to discredit people who do this type of work because it's lucrative and it pays well and it affords them the ability to offer their themselves and their families the lives that they they want to live. And I think that if if that's what drives you and that's what mm-hmm. you're invested in, then good for you. You know, that's yeah, that's totally. certainly an important piece of the puzzle as well. But yes, getting back totally. to, Yeah, yeah. And but also, you know, getting back to the risks uh, I mean, there's so many of being too emotionally yeah. invested. And I, I sure. certainly come across as someone that perhaps struggles with being too emotionally invested sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there have been times in my career where it has held me back. Um, first of all, being too emotionally invested in your work or in, or in the outcomes of your cases can actually cloud your judgment uh, and be be disruptive to your productivity, sometimes it's really hard to just get out of your own head. And if you're so hyper-focused on, on, you know, doing the right thing or achieving a certain goal, it might make it difficult for you to sort of 
think outside the box or just take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Um, for me, I've been in situations where being too emotionally invested in our cases uh, has really negatively contributed to my mental health. You know, over the course of my career, I've been really lucky to work on a lot of high profile legal battles, but there have been times when working on those high profile cases has made me feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. Um, I, I can give an example uh, where at, you know, my previous firm, we were hand- handling a historic high profile civil rights case that's, that's going on to this day. It was a high profile race discrimination case and the, the case was making headlines in the news every single day. And it was a really intense legal battle. I won't get into the specifics, but it, at some point I started losing sleep uh, over, over it because I was just, I was, I was in it. I was locked in every single day. And if you're losing sleep, then that just can't be good for your productivity, you know? And it really was, it was impacting my mental health. It was impacting my ability to show up to work in, in authentic ways. Um, there's a, uh, that's, so that's one piece of it. There's another risk of being too emotionally invested, which is that um, it can make sometimes make it hard for you to receive constructive feedback. You know, if if, if you're like, you know, yeah, you're right. super invested in your work, and then and then you get negative feedback on on your work product or on your performance, yeah. it's like, well, how could this possibly be happening? I'm giving 110 percent every single day. And, and it can be really hard to receive that feedback. And also sometimes you like don't, you almost don't want to listen to it as, as a coping mechanism because you are putting in so much work. Um, there's times when it can feel really personal. So if you're too emotionally invested, then, um, it's, that can actually be an inhibitor to your career growth. You know, on, on the, the topic of losing sleep, if you're too emotionally invested or, or you're married to your job, then you might opt to sacrifice other things that are important in life, like sleep or like spending time with friends and family or or even engaging in other activities outside of work that make you happy. You know, if you're so hyper focused on your job and on your career every single day, then it really doesn't leave a lot of room for you to receive enjoyment in other facets of your life. And that can be really problematic as well. So, you know, I, I will say, and I have some some skills and some tools that I've picked up over the years, but this is one that I'm still actively working on, you know, learning how to, how to, um, how to draw boundaries with myself and, and also with our clients, you know, this, this is also, I guess, a fourth thing is that if, if you are make yourself so readily available to your attorneys or to your clients, 24 hours of, of the day, seven days a week, then that's what they expect from you. And they will call upon you at all hours of the day and night to help them with whatever it is that they're dealing with. And that can be really destructive to your overall well-being. So it's important to set boundaries. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to I want to attach these two huge terms that we talked about, emotional investment and emotional intelligence to another, because... And you're and you're you're shaking your head because I think you know where I'm going to go. If you're going to be emotionally emotionally invested in something, then you also have to have a high degree of emotional intelligence to regulate yourself, right? Effectively, mm-hmm. so it's you're playing a very high stakes game, uh, and you don't want to go in there like a novice. You want to go in there with the toolkits. And I think for people who really um, who really dive into work 
because it they it brings them meaning um, and it brings them a sense of uh, of direction in their life. The the hardest thing to know is when to pull back from something like that, and the hardest thing to know is when you are overdoing it, when uh, when you are uh, being short sighted, uh, when you can't take feedback, when all of this, you know, it's it's everything that you everything that you um, everything that you named, and a lot of that comes into: Are you checking in with yourself? Are you actually? Uh, tallying what's going on within yourself just as much as you're you're using the fire of your emotions to push you forward and progress and probably perform very well and probably get all the feedback that you want at the same time are you using that same amount of in if you are you using that same energy to really like uh feedback on, on yourself and i think that this is this is how i see these two things so intimately mm-hmm. tied with one another the same mm-hmm. The same thing that gives you the ability to be emotionally invested also is the thing that you need to exercise back on yourself in sort of a critical way, in a in a in a in a critique of yourself as as a, as it were as a guard. Does that make sense? Do you think I'm like awesome? Yeah. Is that, is that sort of like something about one of the tools that you're sort of thinking? No, about? I mean, I I I think that's a great way to connect these two ideas of emotional investment and emotional intelligence. I think it can be a really fine line sometimes. Uh, between being emotionally invested and then just overextending yourself. You know, I recently attended an LMA Wellbeing Wednesday webinar um, where we were talking about burnout and, and managing burnout. And one of the suggestions, and I'm, I'm blanking on the presenter's name, which um, I'll, I'll have to get back to you on that. But the um, one of the one of the takeaways or one of the suggestions for uh, minimizing burnout is to understand your triggers. Yeah. Um, we know we all have different physical uh, triggers and, and, and emotional triggers when we find ourselves stressed or overwhelmed. And so knowing what those signs and symptoms are can be a great way of mitigating that risk. So for me, you know, I've learned that when I'm going through periods of extreme stress, um, I start to, my memory starts to fade. You know, my short-term memory goes, I might forget conversations that I had the day before or even earlier that day. And so that's the thing that I, that I notice is that when my, I'm having short-term memory problems, it means that I'm probably really stressed out and I need to dial it back a little bit. I need to figure out ways to, to scale back. And it's not always easy when you have lots of responsibilities and tasks on your plate. I think there's also, you know, to that end, I think it's really important to know when and how to ask for help. So if you find yourself being too, you know, overextended or you're stressed out and you're starting, it's starting to manifest in, in physical ways, you think you might be approaching burnout. You have to know when to ask for help. That could be something like even just reaching out to your colleagues and letting them know that you're really overwhelmed mm-hmm. and that you need help uh, could be part of it. It could be reaching out to loved ones for just emotional support, having someone that you can lean on to tell them about the problems that you're going through, not even necessarily for the purpose of seeking out solutions, but just to have someone who can support you and and to hear what you're going through. But I do think that it is important that um, when you're at work, that you have the ability to ask for help when you need it. 
And, you know, because we're all busy, we all get super busy from time to time. Now, if you find yourself in a position where you are constantly asking your colleagues and your managers for help and for assistance, and you're not getting any, then that's probably a pretty strong indicator that you're not in a, a office culture that ultimately supports your well-being and, and your professional growth. And that might be a signal that it's time to make some type of a change. But... Mm-hmm. At least knowing, you know, what strategies are out there when you are going through periods of extreme stress can be really useful in not only dealing with the situation that's in front of you, but also effectively setting yourself up for long-term career success. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, my, uh, my wife just finished reading The Body Keeps the Score. I, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It has to do with how the body basically keeps the score vis-a-vis things like trauma, vis-a-vis things like previous burnouts and how it sort of tends to manifest. Great book. I would recommend it to everybody to read. Uh, my body's very simple. If I'm stressed and reaching burnout, uh, my, uh, my neck just completely tightens up and my back goes into mm-hmm. spasm. So that's an easy one for me, you know, and, uh, but that's mm-hmm. usually already well. Way way past, but um, wow! So um, by, so by much. By the way, I just go ahead. I'm sorry, I just looked it up. Go so ahead. the the speaker at the Wellbeing Wednesday for LMA was uh, Jenny Malloy. She's the president and executive wellness coach at Lights Camera Kale. She really gave a very fantastic presentation on well-being and how to avoid burnout. And she gives a lot of talks to law firms um, and, and other professional services firms. So cool. I, I highly recommend nice. seeking her out if, if you find that your team is struggling with this, these issues. Any, amazing. So we'll put that... Uh... We'll put that in the sh- in the show notes for sure. Um, awesome. I'll find the um, I'll find the link to the recording for the LMA, um, and we'll drop that in the show notes too. I think I've taken a lot of your time. Honestly, I've picked your brain, uh, and we've really sort of gone deep. First of all, I want to thank you so much for like being gracious with your time. Second, for you know opening up and showing up and on a topic that you know the truth is that nobody is an expert on this. We're all sort of like clawing. Um, a little bit in the dark on this. The most important thing really at the end of the day is that I feel like we're just mindful of these things if you're, um, and just keeping them top of mind. And I think conversations like this uh, ultimately help that. So I just want to thank you so much uh, for, for doing this. Any final words? What do you, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about what you're up to, plug some LMA stuff. Um, yeah, you're always, uh, you always got things going on. I'll see you at uh, LMA Northeast, of course. And, yes. Uh, So we'll be around there. Yeah. What else is going on for the rest of the year? Yeah, for sure. So we're, we're putting together our Q4 program for the social and digital media SIG. We were, we're still fine tuning, but we really want to do a program on TikTok for law firms. Um, It's like, we, we kind of can't really ignore TikTok anymore. Even B2B firms, you know, their clients use it. Uh, it, So I, I think as the authority of legal marketing, it's kind of incumbent on us to, uh, to even sure. to stay on top of these trends, even if we don't want to. So that's what's coming for, for LMA. Um, let's see. We also, uh, on the side, I also am one of the founding co-facilitators of the LMA LGBTQ plus member resource group. We've been having, we just had uh, a meeting today, actually, uh, where we talked about um, the history of coming out of the closet and this yeah. new notion of how to actually, instead of coming out, but in, invite in people yes. in honor of National Coming Out Day, which is on October 11th. Um, we're, we're planning our holiday celebration for the end of the year. So 
lots of fun things up, up in the air and, you know, just continuing to, to try to move the needle on, on social yeah. justice. Oh, also, I guess the, the final thing that I'll add that's going on in, in our world. Um, just yesterday, I attended the New York Legal Awards where my boss received a, um, the Distinguished Leader Award. It was a wonderful ceremony. And then next month, we're going to be our, one of our clients is going to be honored at the National Employment Lawyers Association gala in New York. Uh, our, our client, Robin Europe, who sued Equinox for race and gender discrimination, and Aww. she received a verdict of $11.25 million. So, and she's continuing to work with us on, um, you know, on legislation that will ultimately make workplaces around New York safer, will force employers to start taking workplace discrimination more seriously. So she's being honored as a courageous plaintiff at the Neela Gala. We're we're looking forward to supporting her. We're going to be there in full force. Have a bunch a bunch of our team members there to honor her. So yeah, those are the things that are going on in my world. But Ben, I really appreciate the opportunity to come and talk about these topics. I think it's one that we should be talking about more as a community. Yep. And I invite anyone who, if you see me at a LMA event or just out on the street, as you so eloquently put it, Ben. Come give me a hug. Introduce yourself. I am an open book, uh, so I'm always happy to make new friends. Yeah. Well, we we are going to get out of here. Jacob, thank you so much for sitting down. Uh, thank you for uh, talking about emotional investment, taking us on your ride, your journey. It's really, really great to talk to you. And uh, to everybody else, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely reach out. Um, if you like this podcast, please like and subscribe. It just, you know, it helps us keep on doing these things. And I get... It's so selfish of me because I just get to hang out with cool people like Jacob uh, and talk to them. So thank you, everybody. And thanks so much, Jacob. Bye, everybody. Thanks. So yeah. Bye. Bye.